listen, we uh, want to make sure you know, so every once in a while you find, as I mentioned earlier this year, that um, mostly it's me that's absent, but today Pastor Marcus is not here, but he's not playing hooky, he's preaching elsewhere. A friend of his asked him a couple weeks ago, could he possibly carve out time uh, on today to be in Norfolk and preach for him, so that's where he is. And over the next few weeks, I will not be physically here, but my heart will be with you uh, though I'm going to have to take it with me mostly because i got to preach at a couple of other coastal campuses over the next couple Sundays. So at any rate, you just come. You just be here. The Word of God will be preached faithfully, and uh, uh, God will be glorified, okay? But I want to talk today, I want to begin today by talking about a show that is on HGTV. How many of you watch HGTV? I'm just curious. Not a lot. Not a lot are willing to admit it anyway, but... Um, <laughs> So our son, Mitch, who's not here, so I can talk about him without embarrassing him. <laughs> um, he loves Chip and Joanna Gaines. He just thinks they are the bomb. He watches them. He, he gets up early in the morning, and as soon as we're able to get around and get to him, he wants to watch them, and particularly their show, Fixer Upper. He loves watching that show. I don't really know that he's, you know, getting a lot from it that he really cares about. He just likes watching them. But that show is really interesting, right? If you've ever paid attention to it, they literally take the nastiest house they can find in any particular neighborhood and they transform it. Now, they usually have, you know, 60, 70, 80, $100,000 to do it with, so that doesn't hurt. But it's amazing, right? And inevitably, if you watch the show a few times, they get partway in and Chip calls his wife, hey, Joe, I think we have a problem. Every show, they have a problem, right? Because, partly because that's just what happens when you get into construction work. Ask my wife, I, like, every time I do something around the house, I'm like halfway through, I'm, this is why I hate this, I remember now. Because you always come into something that's unexpected, right? And you didn't think it was gonna be there or you didn't know or whatever it was. And so there are unexpected obstacles, right? That's where we are in Nehemiah 4. This is really going strong here, right? They are in the process of building. Last week, we talked, Pastor Marcus talked about how different people were engaged, all different sorts of people, different, different uh, men and women both, parents and children, different uh, people who had different skills. Everybody's pitching in. They're all involved. They're doing their thing. The wall is going up. They are working on this thing, and everybody's excited about it, except for some of these guys that we mentioned earlier on in the study that are from the surrounding nations and surrounding peoples who were not at all happy. But building the kingdom of God has always been one where we face obstacles, right? We can't anticipate that we're going to be part of the process of watching God's kingdom grow and expand without facing opposition. It's just going to come. In our prayer time this morning before the service, we were, we were discussing how there are some of our brothers and sisters in Christ in other places in the world right now who are undergoing persecution. They are in places where to claim the name of Christ, certainly to be baptized was a stand or is a stand that could cost you your life. We don't have that here so much. But there is opposition. There is opposition all the time. And from the earliest days of history, it was that way. 
everything was great in the garden, right? In fact, God himself said, this is very good. And it wasn't long before Satan came in and tempted Eve and Adam and they fell into sin. And, and now the, there's a mess, right? There's a hole in the pipe. And so here we go. What's going to happen? And God says to them right then, early on, Genesis 3.15, Eve, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a descendant. She's going to have a lot of them, but one in particular the serpent is going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush his head, a clear reference to Jesus and what he would accomplish. But there are going to be lots of obstacles along the way. And every time it seems things are going strong or about to really burst onto the scene, here comes another obstacle. Jesus, just himself, just before his public ministry, he was sent out into the wilderness. He went out there and he fasted and he prayed for 40 days, experiencing temptation from Satan. And then we're given the last three of them in the Gospels, right? They talk about his, his, the temptations that Satan brought to him and he endured all and overcame all of that. Even Jesus faced opposition and obstacles and he found it over and over and over again from people outside and people inside the religious system. It happens all the time. I want to give you some, some good news and hope, and then I'll probably dash it later, but I only have two points in my sermon today, as you can see from your notes. I don't know that that means it'll be any shorter, but at least there are only two points. So here we go. I want to talk about the nature of our obstacles. What do we face when it comes to obstacles? Because I think there's a lot going on here that can be translated to what goes on with us. Now, I'm not going to go through and read this entire chapter. Oh, listen, one other thing. I have to tell you, I promise, I did not give Pastor Marcus that passage last week because of all those names. <laughs> I had several of you came, said, you give him that because those names are too hard to pronounce? No, if I had thought of it, I probably would have, but I didn't think that far ahead. So anyway, but I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to kind of go back and forth through it. There are three different kinds of opposition that arise here, obstacles. And so let me read the first three verses, though. When Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was very angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, nothing like just being critical, but let's publicize it. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they receive, will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. He said, yeah, what they're building, if a fox goes up against it, he'll break it. He'll break down their stone wall. Ridicule, right? Ridicule and mockery. Now, that's something that you have probably faced at some point. If you've ever taken a, a sincere stand for Christ, there probably somebody has kind of at least shrugged their shoulders or chuckled at you, right? Or perhaps openly ridiculed you and mocked you, but it's happening to them here. Sanballat, this one guy, is, I mean, he is hot. He is enraged because they're making progress. We're building the wall. The kingdom of God was going forward. The, the wall of Jerusalem was being rebuilt. 
Sometimes people are just simply furious because we're interested in the spiritual well-being of the people around us. They think you ought to mind your own business. He, they jeered at him. They laughed him to scorn. Well, they can't do this. What are they even thinking? They're not capable of accomplishing the task. They don't know how long it's going to take. They think sacrificing to God is going to help, which, of course, implies that their faith is of no value. They're, what they're working with is inadequate. And the result is likely to be weak and unstable. Can I suggest something? Probably all of those things were true. They didn't know exactly how long this was going to take. Now, it'll turn out, we'll see in a week or two, that it was built in record time. Turns out the materials they had were adequate, but they had been broken down. The walls had been broken down and burned. It was kind of a mess. They didn't have the capacity in themselves. I mean, good night, there are children. There are perfumers building the wall. Now, I don't mean to say anything against perfumers. If there's somebody here that is one, I apologize. But that doesn't seem like that would be a trade that would be useful in a construction project, unless maybe at the Dungate. I don't know. But um, I don't... There's, all, there's a bunch of people, and you wouldn't think that they all had the necessary skills, right? So there was a little bit of truth to what they're saying. They think praying is going to help. They were mocking everything they could think of as it related to this project. It's, so, it's going to be so weak and frail, a fox could kick it over. They made one major error, and it's a little word toward the end of these few verses that I think is the real problem with their ridicule. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. What Sanballat and these other guys presenting all this mockery forgot was this wasn't their wall. This was God's wall. This, they weren't doing this because they just needed something to do. They were doing this because God put it on the heart of their leader, Nehemiah, and they were all in and they were going after it. And they were going to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. This was God's project, not theirs. That was the fundamental mistake. God commissioned the work and owned the final product. That's Part of the problem with critics, right? They typically look from a very human vantage point. And from a human vantage point, what we do to build the kingdom of God is really hard, right? Talking to people about Jesus, talking to your friends or your coworkers or your relatives, maybe especially about Christ when you know they don't know Christ, that's difficult. It's hard, and we don't always have what it takes but we sang about that, right? We don't have the strength to make this stuff happen. But in Christ, I have the strength I need to do what God asks me to do. They had the strength, but it wasn't their walls. Critics are like, that's their walls, their plans, their comfort, their procedure, their arrangement. Sometimes it's downright logical what they're saying. 
but they do not factor in the reality that when God is building his kingdom, it's going to be built. The gates of hell, I believe, the scripture said, right, will not prevail against it. Ridicule and mockery. There was some personal opposition involved. Down in verse 7, so they're, they're still building the wall in between here. We'll come back to it in a minute. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Now, they were already greatly enraged. Now, they're also very angry. Maybe that's another step for them. I don't know. But they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. This is personal opposition. They are going to get in gear and they're going to personally fight this thing. That's from everywhere around them. All sides, north, south, east, and west, if you went and mapped out where these different groups are from, surrounding Jerusalem. It's guerrilla warfare, really. Down to verse 11, we read, Our enemies said they will not know or see till we come and among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Guerrilla warfare, sneak attacks are being planned openly enough that the other Jewish people, the other Israelites who live in the surrounding villages outside of Jerusalem are now coming. Ten different times, come to us, come back home. Because people had come from there to help build the wall. Come back to us. Even others who claim Christ will sometimes be a discouragement to us. We can't do this. This is too much. There's going to be too much difficulty. There's going to be too much trouble. How is this ever going to happen? I don't know is sometimes my answer, right? But if God has called us to do something, we do it. Personal opposition and something we can all relate to. Verse 10, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By, ourse by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. That's fatigue speaking. You know that, right? You understand that feeling. There were 15 or 18 of us here yesterday working around the building. Hopefully you noticed a few things, at the very least a big pile of stuff out by the road. There was a lot being done. And by the end of the day, there was a lot more of this kind of walk going on than at the beginning of the day, because there was a lot of fatigue happening after just three hours, three and a half hours or so. You've been in situations where you felt that, right? Have you ever felt spiritually fatigued? You're busy serving God. You're doing what you know God has called you to do. You're weary, and you're just fatigued. That's not a sinful thing. It's the reality, though, right? We are just tired. By ourselves, we cannot do the work. I'm a little surprised that I'm not hearing some of our children's ministry workers saying, amen, we can't do this alone. We're tired. We got some that are 
serving two, three times a month. In every one of our ministries, we have people who are fatigued, they're tired, and they're going to try and keep on going. We face that. It's a season of hard work. Listen, this is a season at Coastal. We, we have seasons that are very busy and very full of life and activity, and it's a season of hard work, and it's a season of growth. Sometimes we just accept that we're weary because the load is heavy. That's true. By ourselves, within ourselves, we don't have the resources or the capacity to do this. We can't get what God wants us to do done because we just don't have the resources. We don't have the strength. So what do we do about that? What's the solution? How do we take care of these obstacles? I think we, we do them the same way they did. Now I want to jump back to verse 4, the same chapter. After all these complaints, all this ridicule, all of this mockery that they received, verse 4 says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. The term for that in the scriptures is called an imprecatory prayer. It doesn't sound very nice, right? It doesn't sound very polite. It doesn't sound like, don't pray like that about people. That's not very nice. He's praying for God to fulfill his promise though, right? What did God tell Abraham? Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. I will fight against them. But what do they do? They're going to God. They are praying. They are going to God, understanding we cannot overcome what we need to overcome, and we do not have it in ourselves to do everything that you have called us to do. And it's a little bit tiring and maybe downright exhausting, and we're getting weary. Lord, step in. So I say, let's call this what it is. It's spiritual warfare. I read this from Chuck Swindoll. I love this statement. Spiritual warfare, battles of that sort are best fought from a kneeling position. I love that statement. We need to be a people of prayer. We have a prayer team that meets here every other Sunday, first and third Sunday after the morning service. Man, they would love it if you would join them. They can't be the only ones praying. We all need to be people of prayer. We have a night of prayer about four times a year. I would love to have you come and participate with us, but man, we got to pray more than four times a year, right? We need to be people whose hearts and lives are filled with prayer. You never are more successful than when you make your plans, advance your cause, and overcome your obstacles on your knees. Prayer is one of the most difficult pieces of the Christian life, right? How many of you know that when you're, when you're there praying, all of a sudden, the 16 things that you forgot about yesterday, all of a sudden, you remember all of them, right? I had a friend of mine one time who said he kept a little sticky note pad with him when he prayed. So every time something like that came up, he'd jot it down, stick it on the wall next to him, and then go back to prayer. That way he knew he wouldn't forget about it again. 
whatever the things are, whatever the things are that are distracting you from prayer, figure out how to keep the distractions away so you can pray. Get yourself a list. Find an app. There are lots of them out there that will prompt you to pray about all the things you want to remember. Because we, we were talking again recently uh, with a group of people about these, this idea of, a, of taking a day to pray. Can you imagine praying all day long? Somebody said what everybody else was thinking. I think I would run out of things to pray for. You probably really wouldn't. You probably have a day's worth of things to pray for. But this wasn't all day. This was their instinctive response was to turn to prayer. Oh, God, we need help. The prayer is pointed and it's powerful. But they didn't only pray. Verse 6 says, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. I love that phrase. The people had a mind to work. They wanted to get something done. They didn't just want to stand around and pray. So here's the phrase. I've used it before just recently. There is nothing else you can do until you pray. But there is a whole lot left to do after you pray. So we pray and we seek the face of God. And we don't pray to just get that done so we can get to the real work. That is the real work. But there is also other real work that has to be done. And the people had a mind to work. And so they built this wall to half its height. Verse 9. I like verse 9. We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. We prayed and we set a guard. We're talking about action and preparation. That's what they were doing. We trust God. I pray all the time for the children in our children's ministry. We also have security personnel standing in the lobby. I pray for protection over our church family. We also keep the doors locked. We try to use godly wisdom. We're not just going to pray and then not think through what can we do. Listen, I am really grateful for our security personnel. You see one of those folks in the black uh, polos, don't give them a hug. They might think something bad's about to happen. But, you know, thank them. Thank them for their willingness to go out of their way to protect. Somebody comes in here messing, trying to cause a disturbance on a Sunday morning, they're going to find some resistance because our security personnel are tasked with protecting our children and protecting you. I'm really grateful for them. Man, if you have a heart for that, you want to be part of the people who stand there prepared, man, they would love to hear from you. Talk to Jeff Levi. He would love to hear from you. These, these people are serious about this verse. We prayed and we posted a guard. Verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall... In open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked, and I arose, and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, 
and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Encouragement was another part of this peace. It was another part of this action and preparation. They sought to encourage them. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and fight for your family. That's why I love when we talk about our family here. We are family. We're not just a bunch of random people who happen to attend the same church. We are family. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have repented of your sin and believed in the gospel and received Christ, you are family to us. We welcome you and we care for you. I have been in too many places, in too many churches, where families are fighting with each other, not for each other. By the way, if you're raising children, I heard of, I think it's, I think it's funny anyway, um, a dad who said to his brothers, because they were two brothers picking on their sister one day, they said, no, 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 no. You fight with each other. You fight for your sister. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's actually pretty good. Uh, though we don't want to encourage them to fight with each other. Brothers are brothers, right? Listen, we are family. So we remember the Lord and we fight for our family. Listen, I'm not obviously talking about picking up arms. Please don't start carrying swords to church or anything. I don't, don't think that's necessary. But we are family. And then the third thing they did, so here's where I am going to read from the rest of the chapter now, starting in verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us, so this is going back to that piece where they've got this set up. They're going to start guerrilla warfare. They're going to start sneak attacks from north, south, east, west, all around. They're going to come in, and they're going to try and sneak up on them, and they're going to kill them, and they're all ready to go. And when our enemies heard, verse 15 says, that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Though, and each of the builders, verse 18, had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We're separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held spears from the break of dawn till the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us. But anyway, don't, don't go back home. Skip the commute. Stay inside the walls. Neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This sounds all very military, very almost violent, right? That's not, of course, the point. What is the point? Teamwork. They worked together. Some people had to have their hands free to do the work. Some people were picking up stones. You don't pick up a stone with one hand unless it's really small, right? Some people were 
building, getting the mortar together. Some people had to have both hands free. Some people could stand there and protect them. Some people were carrying stuff and they could carry stuff with one hand and carry a sword in the other hand. There were all these different groups of people that were working together. Teamwork is one of the ways we overcome the opposition of the enemy. I want to finish by going to Philippians chapter 1. Because there is a phrase here in the New Testament that is a very similar concept to what I'm talking about. And I really love this. Because in case you get a little bit overwhelmed by the task that God has put before us, and now I'm talking about when I say us, I mean us here in Hampton reaching this community. I have had friends of mine who, when I tell them where we're located in Hampton, they say, oh, really? Well, that's not such a great part of town. My thinking is, it's a great part of town for the gospel. It's a great part of town for us to reach people who need Jesus. To have a gospel outpost on this corner is an incredible opportunity from God. I'm really grateful. It gets a little tiring, right? Do you get a little weary? Are you serving and you're busy? One of the ways we overcome it. So what are the three ways? Prayer, action, and preparation, being prepared, and now teamwork. We're going to work together to do this. Sorry, yes, I'm a Marvel fan. And I remember one of the, one of the movies, I forget which of the Avengers movies, Cap is talking to Iron Man, and they're discussing. Man, Iron Tony, whoever he is, says, yeah, but what if we lose? What does Cap say to him? Well, then we'll do that together too. Except we don't lose when we're fighting for the kingdom of God, right? When we are serving God, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So there is no we will lose together too, but we will serve together. Philippians chapter 1, Paul is encouraging and challenging these Philippian Christians. And he says this, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Teamwork. We need to strive side by side. So now I'm, now I'm talking not to everybody who isn't in a particular serve spot, but everybody who is. Find somebody and say, hey, come serve with me. Bring a friend along. Let them see what the joy is in serving the Lord. <laughs> I'll tell another story on Mitchell. So this morning, we have friends of ours visiting here from another campus of Coastal, and we're all going to go to dinner after church today. And Mitchell hates to go out to dinner. So please don't think we're unsociable if we say no on a Sunday. He just cannot take... It's something about it, and I don't want to describe what happens, but it's not pleasant. So 
what are we going to do? You know what we did? His older sister is serving in children's ministry at Yorktown today. So I contacted the lady in charge of children's ministry in Yorktown. Would it be possible for Mitchell to serve there? He serves at Hampton all the time. He used to serve in Gloucester. He loves serving in children's ministry. She said, sure. So we gave him the option. Do you want to go with us, which means going out to dinner, or do you want to go serve in children's ministry? He lit up because he gets to go serve in children's ministry at another campus. Listen, I want us to be like my son Mitch, and I'm not. Listen, honestly, confession, I'm the preacher, and I don't always want to come on Sunday morning. I'm like, ah, oh, it's been a busy weekend. Okay, sorry, I apologize. Sometimes I come because I just got to be here. It would be really bad if the guy didn't show up that's up front. So, but I'm here and I listen to you and you're, my heart is warmed and the fellowship is great. Man, shouldn't it be the natural response to say, I want to be part of this team? We are here to serve the Lord together. We're not here to assemble a crowd. We're not here to draw a crowd. We're here to stage an army. We're here to be a training ground and a preparation ground so we can go reach our community for Christ. That's why we do this, and we overcome opposition, whether it's something as seemingly simple as ridicule and mockery or something really serious, like somebody's actively trying to come after us and physically stop us from what we're doing. Whatever it is, we pray, we act, we work hard, we prepare, and we stand together. We serve together, teamwork. So let me give you a couple of thoughts to take with you. One, which voice are you? We've talked about some groups here who were discouraging voices. They were the ones saying, you can't do this. That's never going to happen. You don't have enough. You can't make it work. Why are you beating your head against the wall, right? This is never going to... Which voice are you? Are you one of those voices? Or are you like Nehemiah? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Are you pointing people to God? Are you pointing people to Jesus? Or are you being a discouraging voice? Listen, there are no spiritual gifts called criticism. There isn't a spiritual gift of gossip or being a wet blanket, right? There are no spiritual gifts like that. If you're doing those things, if you're that voice, don't be that voice. Be the encouraging voice. Secondly, not only which voice are you, but whose voice are you listening to? Sometimes it's easy, right? Sometimes it's easy to listen to the voice of the adversary. And now I'm talking about the devil, not just the person who doesn't agree. Or the person who would discourage you. But are you listening to those who are pointing you to the great and awesome God? And then lastly, what team are you on? I know I could really turn that into a great appeal for, for serving, right? And we need you to do that. We need you if you're a musician or if you can do production or if you can be in first impressions or if you can serve with our children's ministry, if you can be part of our security team or our first impression. There, we've got lots of places. If you want to serve, we've got a place that will fit. But which team are you on? I'm just saying, are you, are you 
pulling with the team. We're here to serve God. We want to do our best. We want to impact this community for Christ. There will be opposition. There will be obstacles. If you want, if you want to be part of something where it's just all nice and everything caters to you, well, go join a country club. We're here to serve God together. And man, I'm telling you, it's exciting to see what God is doing. I'm just doing the reality check today, right? There will be opposition. How are we going to handle it? We're going to pray. We're going to act. We're going to work hard. We're going to prepare, and we're going to be a team. We're going to put our shoulders side by side, and we're going to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to pray, and then our... Worship team is going to come back, and we're going to sing and make our way out of here. Father, thank you. I thank you for this group of people here in Hampton. I thank you for the faithfulness and dedication that they have shown. Lord, I know I'm talking to people, many of whom are already busy. They're here. They're not just coming to church. They are here, and they are serving, and they're engaged in ministry while they're here sometimes two and three weeks out of the month. And many of them are engaged in additional ministries outside, whether it be with the, the rescue mission or with our food ministry or whatever. And Lord, there are so many people here who are serving you faithfully. God, I pray that you would help them in the times that they're fatigued. I pray that you would bring them more team members to stand side by side with them as they strive. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us as we seek to look to the future and see what you have for us. God, would you use us to do what we know in our own strength we don't have the capacity to do. We confess our dependency on you. And Lord, I pray for maybe one who's come in here this morning who is not even yet a follower of Jesus and is wondering all about this team and family and all these terms that I've used this morning. God, I pray that you would challenge them with the reality of their sinfulness before you as a holy God. And I pray that they would turn from their sin, that they would believe in the gospel, that Jesus came and died and was buried and literally came back to life again on the third day, and that they would receive Christ. Lord, give them uh, even enough courage just to stop somebody or come on down to the front and talk to one of our folks that's down here. Lord, would you encourage your people today? The facing of opposition is just part of life. It's certainly part of life when we're doing what you have asked us to do. But the opposition doesn't matter because the gates of hell itself cannot prevail against the church because it is your church. This is your work that we're doing. And so, God, we grant ourselves, we give ourselves to you again today, offer ourselves to serve you with all of our hearts and trust you to do what only you can do. And we pray that you'll get glory through us and through your church. In Jesus' name.